Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Maui Nui is on a mission to help balance access deer populations for the good of our environment, communities, and food systems on the island of Maui. They've shared over 126,000 pounds of nutrient-dense protein with the Maui community. Secure your spot now. Become a snack subscriber and join in helping to build more resilient food and ecosystems on Maui. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I-Venison.com. And use promo code BEAR for 20% off your first order. You know what my favorite text is? A waypoint and the Onyx Hunt app to a goblin turkey. The list on the Onyx Hunt app features for chasing turkeys is long, but knowing exact public and private boundaries and land ownership details will help you find more places to hunt, whether that's on public or private. I'll be toting the Hunt app through the spring woods in a few states this year, and I recommend you do the same if you want more turkeys on your table. Also, Onyx has a special offer for you. Use code BEARGREASE to receive 20% off your membership at onyxmaps.com hunt this spring. My name is Clay Newcomb, and this is a production of the Bear Grease podcast called the Bear Grease Render, where we render down, dive deeper, and look behind the scenes of the actual Bear Grease podcast. Presented by FHF Gear, American-made, purpose-built hunting and fishing gear that's designed to be as rugged as the places we explore. podcast and such is that you guys have no choice if you show up of what I get to say and do and I am not a talented musician like that is not a secret but I love to play and sing and so Misty says that the only reason I do this is because I I make someone sit and listen to us play (laughs) so you've been trapped to hear us but I do have something pretty cool. We're going we're gonna to play only two songs, and then we're going to jump into the podcast. But the, the first song we're going to play has never been played publicly before. It's a song that I wrote, and it's called The Ballad of a Backwoodsman. And Yeah, yeah, yeah. And for those of you that follow along, you know that we have a, we have a hall of fame in the Bear Grease world. Y'all know the Bear Grease Hall of Fame? It's for real, man. It's not a joke. And the first, the first inductee to the Bear Grease Hall of Fame was a man by the name of James Lawrence. I say was, is a man by the name of James Lawrence. James Lawrence lives in Mena, Arkansas. Dear, dear friend of mine. James Lawrence is a, he's an incredible mountain deer hunter. He's spent his whole life down in the Washita's 
and was killing deer when other people weren't killing deer when there weren't deer. And James has always carried in my mind an intangible quality of the mountain people of Arkansas. Humble, earnest, hardworking, independent. And what I loved about James is nobody ever told him he was cool until maybe me and his wife. <laughs> and James was gonna be here today because the song is about James Lawrence. He's, he doesn't know there's been a song written about him. He's never heard it before. So he was gonna be here today, but he, he was not able to come. And uh, so we're gonna introduce this song. Okay, that's stage one. Stage two of stuff I gotta say is that you gotta know a little bit about what this song is about because it's, it's quite specific. There's, there's several reference points that are gonna help you understand it. First of all, there's a reference to the Cossatot River. Y'all know where the Cossatot River is? Swimby Wood down in southwest Arkansas. Okay, James Lawrence was born at the headwaters of the Cossatot River. There is, you will hear the, the term shock pouching in this song. Y'all know, know what a shock pouch is? Okay, that's, a, that's when, that's an old mountain way that James Lawrence's grandmother taught him how to do to carry a deer out of the woods on your back by cutting different parts of his legs off and tying the deer's legs in knots and using it like a backpack strap. James Lawrence hunted deep, he still does, hunts deep in the mountains and shock pouch many deer. You're gonna hear that phrase. You're gonna hear reference to the sawdust pile. James hunted a particular area and they always camped at what they called the sawdust pile, which was deep in the mountains. You couldn't drive there, you had to walk there. And it was the remnants of an old sawmill where the, 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 the sawdust stayed there for like 75 years. I mean, they, they pulled the logging equipment out of there forever and there's still remnants of that sawdust pile. So they camped at the sawdust pile, okay? It's a complex song, okay? <laughs> We're complex people, right? So, and then there's, there's reference to bucking horses and motorcycle wrecks. When you talk to James, he's 75, and he's doing great for 75, but he's pretty banged up. And he always says, man, it was those bucking horses and motorcycle wrecks that, that did me in. So that's in the song. So, I hope you enjoy it. We're gonna give it a go. Back ties legs in the knots so he could get in there deep and hunt his. 
slip along. He'd find a buck scrape, he'd be there before dawn. He'd hunt three full days in the same spot. He says you'll kill that buck if the sign is hot. When a big old stag would come slipping along, his 308 would sing his song. Boom. James Lawrence is a backwoods man. Made a living with his own two hands. Didn't work for the man. No, sir. I go, I tell Buck he loved the land. Humble and earnest, I can tell you. I know it firsthand. I've rarely met a man that's genuine. He sends his tongue as strong as a long leaf pipe. And then bucking horses, motorcycle wrecks about did him in and broke his neck. Young he once was, but now he's old. Still got fire in his bones like times of old. And when you need a friend to be by your side and you can kill a bear, up your skin to hide. James Lawrence is a backwoods man. Made live with his own two hands, didn't work for the man. I go out and tell Buck he loved the land. Humble and earnest, I can tell you, I know it firsthand. James Lawrence is a backwoods man. I go, I tell Buck he loved the land. Humble and earnest. No, I know it for a second. All right, all right. <laughs> Great job, guys. Welcome to the live Bear Grease Render podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you guys so much for coming. It, it means a lot to me and Misty, and I know all the Bear Grease people, for, for everybody to come out. I know a lot of people traveled a long ways to get here, all the way across the country. Have we done the whole, like, who traveled the furthest thing yet? Has, has that happened We did yet? a little bit of that earlier this morning. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So we got tickets from North Dakota. South Carolina. South Carolina, Manitoba, Texas. Down Nebraska. in the tip of Florida. Out yeah. west. Montana. Yeah. A young lady from Minnesota. Yep, Minnesota. Minnesota's here. Yeah, so I, I, it means a lot to me that everybody would, would drive that far to come to a black bear event in Arkansas. So that's awesome. And I, do, I don't do this kind of stuff very often. I feel like, I feel like my community has supported us, you guys, and, and – and, and wider people, not from Arkansas, but really Northwest Arkansas has been really good to me. And so I wanted to do an event where, you know, we just came together and had a good time. And uh, so I'm, I'm thrilled that everybody's here. And everybody knows who's here. This is Brent Reeves. Brent's from down in the swamps. Brent <laughs> does not like being called a hillbilly. No. I mean, he's like, well, I'm not a hillbilly. I literally live in, like, flat ground. Mm. So, and on the next Bear Grease podcast, you're going to learn why he doesn't want to be called a hillbilly. Like, the deep, the deep anthropological science of why being from the flatlands delta of Arkansas, he is opposed to being called that. The you're going to learn something about yourself. Here, here I'm fitting to teach you something. <laughs> <laughs> the superficial reason is because if a cat had kittens in the oven, you wouldn't call them biscuits. <laughs> <laughs> what, the, 
One time I called Brett a hillbilly, and he said, don't call me a hillbilly. We had hillbillies mowing our grass. <laughs> <laughs> that this was is not my, true. This is my wife, Misty Newcomb. Y'all know Misty? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Man, I, I think it's pretty cool that I can have my wife with me on my podcast. Misty, do you know anybody else that puts their wife on their podcast? I use this to my advantage. It's not all like the time. I'm asking to be on the podcast. Yeah, she didn't want to be. But no, it's, it's so great to have Misty. And then everybody has met Myron Means. He's been up here earlier. Myron and, I, Myron and I have been really, we've known each other for a lot of years now. And uh, I mean, the, when Not you first 15, got I the guess. job as, the, as the, the bear coordinator, which you were the bear coordinator of the state, correct? Yes. That changed. But yes. I think I talked to you within a month of you having yeah. that job. About 15 years. Yeah, probably so. Too long. <laughs> too, too long. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But no, it's great to have Myron here, for real. James Brandenburg. James is uh, he, he's, he's a big wig here in Arkansas with, for Arkansas BHA. James would and, and his team are responsible for this. I don't really have anything to do with this other than just show up. And so James is one doing all the work and, and his team of guys. Thank you. And so Thank you. Great event. It's the guys. It's the, everybody else is do, doing all yeah. the work. And – Josh Landbridge, and filmmaker. It's like, what's he doing up there? Yeah. <laughs> Josh is. Uh, Josh has been one of my best friends for a long, long time, and uh, and his years. his mustache inspired years. me in 2006 to learn about the Bering Land Bridge. So uh, that's a different story. But no, you're welcome, you know, America. Yeah, yeah. We have. I think we live in an incredible. We live in an incredible state. Did you guys hear the podcast that just came out about the bear state and the Arkansas, the, the big bear of Arkansas, that story? Man, what's so wild about this place that we live, not this place being Arkansas, but this world that we live in, is that humans are only here for just like a really short period of time. So we typically gather information that seems pertinent to our, to our best interests in the moment. And we can lose the, the bigger picture of why stuff is the way that it is. And there's, life is so complex. Stories are so complex. And I love it when you can, almost any single thing that you wanted to mine down into, like why is Arkansas, why were we called the Bear State? Why did we move away from that? Man, there's like deep stories inside of it. Deep, deep stories. And it's so interesting. Because, because we now get to script who we are, what our identity is. And we look back at history and see how things happened. It's like you can, you, can, you can begin to say, okay, we are active partakers in something that's happening right now that we get to build on purpose. And I don't know why, and I think everybody up here would agree, and Myron, for sure, someone who's dedicated a big part of his life to bears, from the first time that I killed a bear in Arkansas in 2001. It was the first year that it was legal to bait in Arkansas. And I, I've said it before. I think I said it last year. I claim to have killed the first legal bear in the state of Arkansas over bait. Because October 1st, 2001, at the crack of dawn, 
<laughs> Me and Gary Newcomb were, where's dad at? Oh, is he over there? Where's dad at? He's somewhere. Me and my dad were hunting and killed a bear. I mean, I'm, I'm serious. Like, it was hardly daylight and killed a bear. Hardly daylight? It was it was barely right it was legal. The, it was right after daylight. <laughs> it, <was legal. laughs> it, it was legal, Myron. <laughs> Statutes of limitations. That's right. And and it was perfectly legal. And at that time I was twenty one years old and I had hunted a fair bit. I mean I was I'd killed deer and turkeys and, and had been in, involved in hunting my whole life. And when I walked up to this bear that I had just killed I realized that I knew nothing about it, like nothing. I didn't, know, I didn't know what it ate. I didn't know where it wanted to bed. I didn't know when it dinned. I didn't know about its reproduction cycle. And it, it felt hollow. At 21 years old, I was like, man, this is, this is a great beast, and I know nothing about it. And something was happening inside of me that I couldn't have calculated. I, I wouldn't have... It was just unconscious, but really what was being said and demonstrated is that the hunt and partaking inside of taking wildlife is so much bigger than just taking an animal. There's, there is a powerful component of connection that we have with hunting. And, this, and, and from that point, I, I was going to the U of A at that time. I was living in Fayetteville. And I started going to the University of Arkansas library and found these old dusty books of, the, of all the research that had been done in Arkansas at that time by Clark, and who else was it? Um, Clark, uh, Kimberly Smith, Joe Clark, Dan Clapp, Stephen Hayes. They kind of did all the, you know, a lot of the research we based our managements on for 30 years. Yeah. Uh, they did that work back in the mid to late 80s. Right. And so I started, I started reading that stuff, and that's where, that was the first time that I read that Arkansas was formerly known as the Bear State. Mm -hmm. And to be honest with you, there's been a couple of times in my life when I was upset at all the people around me because they didn't teach me something. <laughs> and that was a moment when I was like, why didn't they tell me? <laughs> why didn't they tell me that this was the Bear State? And... Uh, and I was just fascinated by that and began to just study about bears and continue to hunt bears. And, and we, I'll tell you another thing. When I first started getting, do y'all mind if I just have my own little podcast? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we got no, a nice monologue. You guys keep it down. Keep it down. Y'all be quiet. Got some stuff I can hear y'all breathing. Yep. <laughs> no, when I, when I first started getting interested in bears and, and media as well, I had, I had some pretty legitimate people who had my best interest in mind advise me not to get into bears. Like, there's a lot of different things I could have done. I, I, I started with, in the whitetail world, writing articles for North American Whitetail and different things, and, and that's what me and Dad did. That's what my dad mainly, we did growing up. We're, we whitetail bow hunted public land in Arkansas. It's just what we did. And then 21 killed a bear. And then, you know, a lot of stuff was going on, but I started tiptoeing into outdoor media and started just like leaning into this bear stuff. And I remember one guy, a good friend of mine, he was like, what are you doing, man? Why are you focusing on bears? He's like, you got to focus on deer. Yeah, Bears ain't cool. It's exactly what he said. 
and 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 I just I just said I don't know man I just I just like them and I kept going that direction and it it ended up being the the best thing that I ever did uh, for a lot of different reasons but I but I felt like and I wasn't the only one doing this, but I mean, I can just talk from what I experienced. I felt like I started to mine into stuff that people hadn't talked about or thought about or brought to the surface in a long time because bear hunting was pretty much stamped out of our culture for about 80 years, almost entirely. When you go to the Appalachian Mountains, you go to... East Tennessee and North Carolina, they never lost their bears. And they maintained a bear hunting culture all through that time. Arkansas, our bears were extirpated, like Myron told us about earlier, in the early, by the turn of the 20th century, 1900, pretty, well, 1940, pretty much our bears were gone. People forgot about bears. They did. They forgot how to use them. They forgot about bear grease. They forgot that bear meat was an incredibly good tasting meat. They forgot how to hunt bears. Literally, dads didn't teach their sons how to hunt bears because there weren't bears here. And then in, in 1980 was our first bear hunt. First modern day, yeah. Our first modern day bear hunt was in 1980. And the bear population just continued to climb, continued to climb, continued to climb, continued to climb. And then 2001 is when the Game and Fish made the decision, the management decision, that, that we were going to manage our bears using primarily using bow hunters on private land over bait, which is genius. Never, if you're from Arkansas and you've ever looked me in the eye, never, ever talk bad about baiting a bear. <laughs> <laughs> it is it is God's gift to us to be able to bait a bear. Because I can tell you something, they're hard to find out in the mountains by themselves. When I yeah. bait bears for a month in Arkansas, it is I call it my month with the bears. Because you see stuff that you never see any other time of year. And it's a fantastic management tool that allows us to be selective, allows us to shoot older age males, all kind of stuff. Are y'all liking my monologue? Yeah, it's yeah, great. Y'all great, man. Keep, keep being quiet, guys. Preach. Hey, y'all, this is what, this is what nighttime Stay at the tuned. Nukem's looks They'll like. They'll be taking this up an offering dinner. later. I love it when I get people cornered. Yep. Well, we may play some more music. No, I'm trying to set the context for opening this up for my. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, because it's 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 bigger. It's bigger than just all oh, we can hunt bears. No, and, and there's there's there is no doubt. There's no doubt a trend in our society today, and, and it's not ever going to come to Arkansas. Never, never is it going to come to Arkansas because we're not going to let it. Right, where right. people would say you shouldn't be hunting predators. You shouldn't, be, you shouldn't be using bait. You shouldn't be, you know, telling, like someone who doesn't know, telling us what we should do. Um, and it's, it's, it's a fantastic and incredible opportunity that we have. But when they opened up bear season, it opened up the floodgates for Arkansas bear hunters to be able to partake of something that had been culturally forgotten for generations, for real. And now we're 23 years into having a, a bear baiting season, and we're now like 50 years into having a bear season, 53 years into 1980, 43, 43, 43, 43 to having a bear season. And 
I mean, there's a, there's a revival of the bear state. That's what I want to proclaim to the world. And it's, and, and it's, uh, and it's not just in Arkansas, man. Bear, whatever is happening ecologically in, this, in North America, whatever it is, there's, there, there are drastic weather pattern changes that have been going on for the last 15, 20 years. A lot of wild stuff is happening. For whatever reason, it has been highly beneficial to the, the generalist omnivores, and specifically the black bear. You will not hear about a population of bears anywhere in the country that isn't expanding. And that's massive inside of a country with as much urban sprawl, habitat loss, civilization spread, all kind of habitat fragmentation. For us to be able to stand up and say, man, the icon of North American wilderness, the black bear, is coming back. You know, and it's, it's, it's coming back all over the country. You know, our, our, our game and fish brought in these bears in the 1950s and 60s, 254 bears, mm-hmm. and transplanted them here in Arkansas, three different places. And now we got a, a, a hunting season in Oklahoma. There's a hunting season in Missouri. There are bears in northern Louisiana. There are bears in East Texas. There are bears on the other side of the Mississippi River in Mississippi. Not a lot, yep. but they're there. And you look at this one little place, this one little dot on the map, and, it's, and that range is, is growing like this. And, while I have you, <laughs> this is so important from a social perspective because bear numbers are increasing all over the country. People that didn't know we had bears have them in their backyard. Urban people, maybe people who don't have a connection to rural America and hunting. They don't understand how someone would want to to kill an animal. And with the increase of bears across the country, there's never been a more opportune time for the bear hunters of America to become educated, to become passionate, to know how to utilize the resource at the highest level when it comes to utilization of the commodities that a bear gives us. There's never been a better time for us to learn how to talk about predator hunting in a way that, that, that dominates. Somebody wants to talk to me about bear hunting and, have, and challenge me, and I'd be nice to them probably. Would you let them talk? I wouldn't. <laughs> I, I've just I got one, one self-help yes. item for you. Yes. You need to work on the passion part of it. <laughs> yeah. Right? <laughs> I need to pop it down a little. Most passionate man I know about bear hunting. <laughs> well... What I'm saying is, is that this is not an argument of, of, of right and wrong, and we're trying to decide. We're right. And, uh, but we're not, we're not in a battle against people. We're, we're, in a, we're in a battle against ignorance at the, most, at the, high, at the, at the very definition of the word ignorance, not, not a derogatory thing. But that's what we can do is educate people and learn how to us really value, respect, and love the bear. Like in that Big Bear of Arkansas story, this short story written in 1841, he said uh, the fictitious character Jim Doggett, okay? If you listened, you'll know. If you didn't, you should have. You should have known <laughs> coming here. You should have listened to the last Bear Grease podcast. This fictitious character, he's, he's an Arkansas bear hunter. 
and he says, he sees a bear being bayed by hounds walking across a hill. And he said, oh, wasn't he a beauty? I loved him like a brother. And man, that's the North American hunter. What we do inside of the North American model of wildlife conservation is a functionalization of a love for wildlife and a love for wild places. Yeah. Yep. That's what it yep. is. And we have a track record in this country of where we messed up pretty bad for a while, like the market hunting era and just rampant exploitation of wildlife. Like, yep, that did happen. And we knew, we saw we messed up, but then we rebounded and have, have escorted onto planet Earth the most robust endeavor for wildlife husbandry ever in the history of the planet, for real. What's happened in North America, not just with bears, but with deer, the wild turkey, the elk, the sheep, everything. It's incredible. And man, we can't, we can't lose that inside of our culture. Like the, the very definition of being an American should have, not everybody needs to be a hunter. Not everybody needs to be. But the very definition of American at one time, there was a sector of that that was... The, that, in, that had hunting as a primary component of American identity. And uh, we can't lose that. And the way we don't lose it is we do stuff like this. And you take time out of your life to come and support something and join organizations and, and hunt, buy a hunting license, be, a, be a active, an active participant inside of what, what, what we're needing from the broader sportsmen. like... The Game of Fish did a big uh, survey this year, bear hunter survey. That's right. And, uh, I mean, you guys learned a lot. What, tell me about that survey. I did learn That's a lot. A you segue, know, a lot of the, uh, the survey went out to people that have successfully harvested a bear in the last three years. And uh, they got a pretty good response rate. I believe it was something like 48% wow. of the people that they sent it out to returned a response on it. And it was a lot of... Uh, it wasn't necessarily geared toward, well, do you hunt bear, what zone you hunt in. It was more geared toward uh, people's associations with bear hunting. How long have you bear hunted? You know, have you bear hunted zero to two years or 15 years? Or, you know, how did you learn to bear hunt? Like, like Dr. Ballard was saying, you know, did you learn it through podcasts? Did you learn it through agency employees did you learn it through uh, newspaper articles or magazine articles so a lot of it was geared toward trying to trying to quantify or put on paper what the attitudes are towards bear hunting across the state and you know social science isn't just new to game and fish it's new to a lot of natural resource agencies around but it's becoming an ever more important part of our management goals or strategies is to incorporate social science attitudes of the public uh, into that. You know, we had a targeted audience, bear hunt, successful bear hunters. Uh, you know, hopefully in the future we could expand that to uh, what I would like to see is if, if and when we ever have a license system in place where I'm able to determine how many bear hunters we have in the state, uh, I'd like to send that survey out to, you know, not successful and unsuccessful bear hunters yeah so it's it's a lot of it's geared aimed at determining attitudes 
more than it is like someone's success rate and things like that. Did, is there is there anything you can point to that you learned from that? Oh yeah, there, there's a lot of stuff I learned. Uh, there's a there's a lot bigger culture out there about utilization of bare parts other than meat. And, uh, you know, I kind of suspected it, but, I, you know, you don't know if you hear about people rendering down fat or, you know, doing things, making soap, like uh, one of the gentlemen here gave me some soap. Uh, you hear about people doing that, but you think, well, you don't know if, you know, those are outliers in the general consensus of how people utilize bears. Why they want to hunt bears. Do they want to hunt it for all things included or just the meat or just a trophy? But actually like 65%. Or more of the people that responded and utilized several parts of the bear, not just the meat. Yeah, and yeah. so that, that's really good to know. It helps me as a manager understand, you know, how people want to utilize bears, which is mm -hmm. important. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not just all about people harvesting bears. As I said, there's a lot of. Uh, Let me say something about that. Yes. The oftentimes it, in talking to people just about hunting in general, you'll talk to somebody and say, "Yeah, I bear hunt." And they'll they'll go, I, I, you know, I don't know if I'd want to kill a bear. I don't know if I'd want to eat it or not. Mm -hmm. And there are parts of the country that have that for years managed bears in a depredation way. Like some of that states out west, like you don't legally have to take the meat. That's just old school way that they did things. Okay, can't understand that. So yeah, that that's an old <laughs> mentality. What, what we're doing now and what Daniel Boone did and Jim Doggett did and, you know, is we're utilizing more of a black bear than 99.99% of people use of a whitetail, of an elk, of a quail, of a turkey. I mean, we're, most bears that are killed, are the, the hide is going to be tanned. I mean, most people that kill a bear, I've never killed a bear that I didn't tan the hide. Yeah. Um, we're rendering the fat, and we're using the meat. And I mean, you know, when's the last, how many deer have you killed in your life? How many tanned hides have you got at your house? You know, not many. So that is a powerful tool to be like, man, we absolutely utilize these animals that we're taking. And uh, I think that's really cool. And that's, again, just a another Another mechanism that helps people understand bear hunting? Really? Oh, yeah, man. We use, we use everything. So that's, that's good. You know, and one of the other questions was geared at, you know, how did you, learn, how did you learn to bear hunt? You know, did you learn through podcast or social media this day and age? Or do you have friends that bear hunt? Did you learn from friends? Uh, did you learn from family members? You know, so it kind of speaks to the uh, whether or not there is a, quote, tradition of bear hunting in the, in the bear state. So it's, you know, it's, it's aimed at determining a lot of things like that, that, you know, I can sit here and speculate all day long, you know, how, what I get, what the feedback I get as a biologist, but that doesn't necessarily put it on paper, you know. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's very, very good information. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Who's got the best bear story up here? <laughs> From last year, Josh, you didn't hunt. James, you hunted. Yeah, you I, saw a bear, didn't you? Yeah, I walked one up. I'm not gonna say where it was. Don't tell him. <laughs> that. But I was uh, I was hunting on public land and walking along. I about I was deer hunting actually, mm -hmm. and I 
stopped in a spot, set my pack down, hung out for a while, got hungry. Like, I'm going to get my pack and get a snack out. I turned around. I had about set my pack down in a pile of bear scat. Mm. Didn't realize it at the time. And it was fresh. So then all of a sudden, I was kind of on a bear hunt and a deer hunt. And I kept on throughout the day. And I moved a little farther along and got down below this bluff line. It got warm. I stopped and taking some layers off. And I turned around behind me. There's this bear just staring at me. (laughs) There's like a couple of rocks like this. How far? 30 yards. 30 yards. Probably no more than 30 yards. Late season, too. November. Yeah. Yeah. So um, looked at him. And it was legal. I could have shot him. Put the gun up. Look out. It was muzzleloader hunting. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and this was on a permit hunt. That's why I was muzzleloader hunting in November, Myron. Mm. <laughs> James Brandenburg. Because, you know, it, this, was, this was a special permit for that. And uh, looked at him. Put my gun down. Looked at him with my two eyes. I'm like, well, heck yeah. Put the gun back up. And he was gone. Like the black mist over the fence. Yeah, he yeah, disappeared. Yeah. Disappeared. Mm. I mean, I looked for, stood there for five minutes with my binoculars, looking all over the hillside, everything. I, I have no idea where he went. But I climbed up there, and, I mean, there's a pile of scat up there as big around as my hat. Mm. Nice big spot was all worn out where he'd just been hanging out, wow. just waiting for winter. Wow. And I That's went back good. in and hunted him a couple more times, but I never, get, never got on him. That's, so. that's pretty good for two James killed a bear on public land the year before, right? Yep. Yeah. So that, that's a good encouragement for people. You heard me speak highly of baiting bears, which we can on private land. But we've got a lot of public land in Arkansas. And you can, you can kill them on public land. It's, a, it's, a, it's much harder. It's much harder. It takes a lot more work. And it's my favorite hunt on planet Earth, for real. Like, I, the moose I got, I killed a moose in Alaska last year. Man, I'd throw that moose in the river <laughs> to kill a big black bear on public land in Arkansas. You better not tell your boss that. You stole that shot, remember? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I did. They didn't show all that. I'll tell the story about that sometime. Um, no, I'm, I'm exaggerating a little bit, not much, but... Hunting bear on public land in Arkansas is, uh, you know, you're going to big to, to simplify it, and, and we've talked about it extensively. Actually, the best thing, if you really want to know, I had a couple guys today ask me about public land bear hunting in Arkansas. On the Bear Hunting Magazine podcast, which is still up, there is, uh, we spent episodes talking, like, talking as much as we knew how to talk about killing bear on public land that's still on there colby do you remember the names any of those episodes bear hunting bear hunting for dummies yeah i was the dummy yeah yeah and look (laughs) what it did for you i know i'm still the bear no there's a lot there's a lot to be said for that kind of stuff hey we've got a lot of moms and wives and children in here raise your hand if you are here as a supportive person but you yourself are not a bear hunter. Big, big hand raise. Hey, that's awesome. That is That's good. awesome. Kudos for you guys. I just want to say, when Clay talked about killing his first bear, he was 21. And we had just found out that I was, I was pregnant with our first, our oldest daughter. She's not here. Two of our, our boys are here. Bear and Shep are over there. But um, our girls, we had just found out I was, I was pregnant with Willow. And 
like a, a lot of women, we found out that I was anemic. And so one of the things that you got to do is pump up your iron levels. And it turned out that wild meat was a great way to do that. And so that's kind of how I got into to eating wild game because bear meat tasted so much better than deer meat. <laughs> those gamey, yeah, yeah. those gamey uh, wild bucks. It has more protein than deer meat, too. It does. And so that's how we started eating bear meat. And we were, like, broke. I mean, we were college students and pregnant with our first kid. And he had this 250 pounds of, of bear meat that he brought in, and I had to learn how to cook it. And, you know, you got to learn how to cook it because it's not, you know, it's not like grocery, grocery the yep. stuff you buy at the grocery store. It'll but oh yeah. <laughs> Over the years, as our kids grew up, they all started bear hunting and I got to sit with Shep on his first bear because you know, you, you have to have an adult sit with you. And so I got to sit with Shep on his first bear. It was Shep and me and James Lawrence who Clay just sang that song about. I called James. He had a walkie talkie and I had a walkie talkie. And Clay and Bear and River, our other daughter, they were out too far to help us and James and Shep and I went and found that bear. Shep accidentally uh, sprayed the woods with bear spray. So that was fun <laughs> for, for James and I, mainly Shep and I. Um, and then last year, I think a lot of you have heard Bear's story about going out and hunting. And as a, you know, just being sent out to public land for three days. And we kind of hung around for that. Last year, Clay was, uh, you know, Bear is named Bear. I mean, that's that's how much this guy loves bears. Um, he named his son a son bear. And bears kind of grown up hunting, and it's been really cool to watch his, his migration from just like the guy that took pictures whenever we got the big bear to the guy who's out there taking care of business. And he, he last year, Clay was out. He was out a lot traveling to different places, and so bear took on the mantle There's of... bear right over yeah, there. Bear, Flavor everybody, bear. With that gorgeous Look at mullet. That mullet. <laughs> Kentucky it's, waterfall. It's pronounced moulet. <laughs> but Bear went out and baited the bear all by himself to get it ready for Clay when he came back home. And, and him went ahead and started, he took out the mules and Caleb, who's over there, as I think I saw Caleb yeah, come Caleb in as well. Was yeah, involved in yeah Caleb was. And those guys would go hook Colby up. Colby helped. Yeah. Those guys would go hook up the, the mule trailer, drag the mules two and a half however many hours away from, from our house and, and hike up into the wherever they were. And it was, it was pretty impressive. <laughs> I wasn't 100% sure that I was comfortable with Bear, you know, taking a trailer <laughs> hours at a time. And anyway, Bear got his own big, gigantic. Bear, how big was your bear this year? 400 huh? pounds. 400 pounds. Bear oh John did gosh. that. And he, yeah, let's get Bear <laughs> bringing home the, the meat for the family. And he had to load that thing up, him, James Lawrence, Papa, Gary, was uh, Gary was there, Brent came in, and uh, they loaded it up, and Bear had to do a whole lot of it by himself, and travel through the night, and I was watching him, you know, thank goodness for cell phones, because I was watching him, and it was, it was, he got home at five in the morning, like, had, having to carry that thing out, out off the woods, he didn't have, he was way out there, so he didn't have, like, you know, an easy way to get it out of the woods. And so he got home at five in the morning, had the mules in the back of the trailer with him and, and the bear. And it was, as a mom, the, the support that we provide these guys actually is something that gives back to us. It's been really cool to see bear hunting has kind of been woven in our family. It really was the only way I could eat wild meat because it was, it was better. And it, and it was palatable. <laughs> We've since learned how to make the other stuff good as well. But but it's, it's been something that's been a part of our family culture and a really special tradition from just putting our little babies, you know, 
on a on a bear hide for a picture to watching them grow up and become hunters themselves. And, and it's just part of our family culture. So kudos to you guys who are here supporting whoever it is you're supporting that's a hunter. It, it gives back. It gives back in a lot of different ways. And, and it's part of our culture as Arkansans and, and as Americans, as Clay says. And, and it's a part of all of our culture, even those of us who don't actually get out there and, and do the hunting itself. Mm-hmm. That was a good monologue. Mm-hmm. I think mine was better. <laughs> I tell you what, it, it was pretty succinct. Certainly shorter. It was a shorter fishing trip. Yeah. <laughs> Brent, you got a bear hunting story for us? Yeah, last year I killed this many bears. So if anybody needs some help or advice on how to kill no bears, come see me. I'll be right over here. Yeah. As a parent, nothing keeps me up at night more than the idea of something happening to my children. But if something happens to me and I'm not around to protect them, that's a true nightmare. Having term life insurance for myself is crucial because I can rest easier knowing my children and loved ones can have some financial support even if I'm not there. That's where Fabric by Gerber Life comes in. Having life insurance just gives me that extra confidence Throughout the day, knowing that my family will be financially cared for if something bad happened to me. Fabric by Gerber Life is term life insurance you can get done right here, right now. You can be covered from your couch in under 10 minutes with no health exam required. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash bear. That's meetfabric.com slash bear. M-E-E-T, fabric.com slash bear. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Assurance Company, not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. Whitetail Institute launched the food plot revolution in 1988 with a concentration on research and real-world testing of forage products specifically for whitetail deer. Whitetail Institute's research and development team of agronomy experts provide effective, personalized service. I've been using Imperial Whitetail Clover for a long time in a food plot back behind my house. In 2007, I killed the biggest buck of my life over an Imperial Whitetail Clover small quarter-acre food plot. Imperial Whitetail Clover is the only clover scientifically developed through years of selective breeding. Clover Extreme Genetic Stability provides extreme cold tolerance, disease, and drought tolerance. It really does. Clover is coated with Whitetail Institute's Rain Bond, a polymer coating added for enhanced seedling survivability. They have an exclusive offer for Bear Grease listeners, 15% off Imperial Clover when you use the code BEAR at whitetailinstitute.com. That's whitetailinstitute.com, and use code BEAR for 15% off. Pay attention here, because this is a hell of a good service. It's called the Wellness Company. Picture this, okay? You wake up, you got a scratchy throat, you're all congested, you got a runny nose, you got a cough, whatever. And you weigh your options, like you tough it out, get sick, take time off work, try to get a doctor's appointment sometime in the next few months, wait two hours at urgent care, and sit in a room full of sick, sick folks. Or you... Open your medical emergency kit. You match your symptoms to the doctor-recommended prescription. 
and you start on the right meds right away. These medical emergency kits, not a first aid kit, all right? It comes with doctor-prescribed meds to treat over 39 medical issues. So, on hand, strong antibiotics for infections of all types. Plus, a doctor's easy guide so you know exactly what to take and when. No waiting to see the doctor. No waiting at the pharmacy. It's all in there. Every home should have at least one medical emergency kit. Order yours online in minutes. Your kit will be rushed to your door. Get 15% off at twc.health slash meat eater, but you got to use the promo code meat eater. That's promo code meat eater, okay, at twc.health slash meat eater. How many were at the Warner Glenn film premiere last night? Did y'all enjoy the film? Yes. Yes. Yeah, that, that was fun. Um, I was, I was supposed to tell who paid for all that, who sponsored it and presented it, and I didn't. I didn't. Any guesses who sponsored that event? That's right. Yeah, for real, man. These guys, they got wind. They, I didn't ask them. They got wind of that we were thinking about doing a film premiere, and they said, how much money do you need? And I told them, and he said, well, how about we give you more than that? And they allowed us to rent that facility. The guys at Onyx are incredible. And uh, if Clay, you – Go ahead. They're they're also presenting sponsors of this event today as well, yeah. and and as a chapter, we're very thankful for that support yeah. as well. So they are they're helping us out a ton, yeah. Um, to keep access to open up access to public land. So no, seriously though, Onyx has been very good to us. I know a lot of you all have been up to do that stuff today, and and we appreciate their support. How many sure. people have Onyx on their phone? All right. Everybody Drop here. me a pin <laughs> where the bears are. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, they, they were, uh, they're incredible. Um, you also forgot to say who did all the work behind the scenes. Oh, yeah, Isaac Neal did all the work. Good Raise job, hand, Isaac. Isaac. See the guy with big earrings? Yeah. Isaac, Isaac helps me with Bear Grease. He's the, uh, he's the, uh, the assistant assistant to, the regional. to the regional producer of Bear Grease, which is me. <laughs> uh, Myron, let's talk about bears a little bit more. So we, we now have a hunt in the Gulf Coastal Plain. We do. And how many bears did they kill this year? Yeah, that's a big yeah, deal. That that's is a big deal. deal. Yeah, that's a big deal. How many, how many bears did, were killed down there this year? Uh, they harvested 28 bears. Uh, of course, there was a quota of 25. Uh, the season ran from December 10th to December 16th, or when the quota was met, whichever came first. The quota was met Monday evening, roughly 5 or 6 o'clock. Oh, you wow. know, it wasn't closed until Monday, three days into it. And which uh, there's, there's it's, it's a little bit of information but I consider it great information. I consider the fact that the season ran through the weekend. I considered that a great success. Uh, tell me what you mean by that. Well, it was short uh, or it was long? Well, it was long enough to at least get through the weekend. Okay. Okay. So uh, what I really didn't want to happen was uh, set the season at such a time frame in in the fall that 
you open season on Saturday, and by noon Saturday, they had already checked enough bears in the season closes, and you got a lot of spillover and everything else like that. So what? But I also didn't want the season set so late that a lot of bears weren't on the landscape. Remember what I talked about, the denning chronology of yeah. males and females? Uh, we want to set it late enough to where the females, some of them, or at least in the den to where they're protected. They're in a den cycle making the males. We want to bias the harvest toward males. Right. So it ended up being 14 and 14, which isn't great. Uh, but at least it didn't close in the first half day of the season. Mm. Uh, it was long enough. The quota was large enough that, you know, the way I took that is most people were able to hunt through the weekend that wanted to bear hunt. And so, you know, it was a success. Uh, I felt like it was a great success on where we placed the quota based on the best research information we had, uh, how when we started the season. I think there could be some fine-tuning on the season. But, you know, really just the fact that we had a bear hunt in the Gulf Coastal Plain of Arkansas, and we have a bear season in roughly four-fifths of the state now, which is something that, I mean, I just don't think people would have envisioned that would you 43 have, years ago. Would you have thought it inside of your career? No, I was I was really skeptical at one mm -hmm. point if it was going to happen. I mean, I knew we had research ongoing and depending on what that research said, but we kept having, you know, historic flood events, you know, 100-year flood events, two, th two out of five years. I mean, you know, so that affected our research. So the research kept getting put off and put off and put off and, and everything like that. So I was beginning to wonder uh, if it was going to happen in my career. Mm. But it, it did. And, man, I feel, I feel really proud that I got to see it in my career. Yeah, that's big. The first time that I, I went on a den study with Myron years ago, probably it was at least 10 years ago, I was yeah. – uh, I remember – I had never, never been to a bear den, and we – walked way back in to an area and Myron kind of snuck up to where he believed this bear to be and first of all I was shocked that this tiny little hole I was expecting a bigger <laughs> hole you know for a bear to be able to fit in yeah but they're like a squirrel you know if you, if you got a hole that big in a tree a gray squirrel that's about that big can fit in it bears are the same way Exactly. And he, he walks up to this little bitty hole that couldn't have been more than about that big. And you wouldn't rem you've been to hundreds of dens, so you probably don't remember which one it was. But I could take you to that den today. Like, I'd remember where it's at. I'm trying to remember, and I'm just uh, I'll, I'm I'll, tell you, I'll tell you later. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was on kind of a – it was on the side of a ridge, and the hole, though, was like in the ground like an armadillo hole. Like, it wasn't like a cave – and Myron, he stuck his head down there and crawled in, and it's like his rear end and his legs are the only <laughs> thing sticking out. And he stays down there for a minute, and he comes back out, and he hands me his flash shot, and he says, stick your head in there. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, uh, I said how, how close is that bear? And he said, oh, it's just like right there. <laughs> and I said, like, how close? And he was like, oh, like from like me to you and I said is it awake and he said yeah <laughs> and uh, 
Get your head in that hole, you idiot. This is counterintuitive. <laughs> Answer and, your uh, own questions. And I said, does it have cubs? And he's like, yeah. And no, I remember leaning upside down into this hole and turning on this flashlight. And from like me to Brent, for real, there's Brenda. It was Brenda. Okay. Like a, I, she was big. Mm-hmm. Just sitting, just glowing eyes, <clears throat> just like from me to Brent, just looking. <laughs> And I'm hanging upside down this hole, shining, and you hear the, the cubs chuckling and, and feeding, yep. and uh, I'll never forget doing that with you. And then I, I've been several times since then. Yeah. Pretty incredible. What have you learned about bear denning in the Gulf Coastal Plain that's different than in the mountains? Is, is, has there been some different stuff? Well... <laughs> I've learned that I don't know near as much about bears as I thought I knew. <laughs> I mean, I, re- I really have. Uh, this has been, uh, man, they're just different down there. Uh, it is a different world. Their behavior is so different than mountain bears. Uh, you know, I mean, I knew that the denning chronology was later in the year. You know, the cycle starts for, for pregnant females later, you know, uh, but... Man, it's just, I've just learned a lot in the past six months about where, their where behavior, what their, what their preferences are. They're, you know, they're kind of nomadic down in that part of the world, which makes them incredibly hard to trap. Hmm. Uh, and I, I did learn one thing, that that corn is the acorn of the south. Is it? Yes, it most definitely is. Tell, and, tell them what you mean by that. Well, I mean... <sighs> You know, they're just not interested in anything else you have to offer. Trying to bait, uh, even in the summer months, you know, when we were trying to bait, I've literally stuffed snare uh, snare sets full of pastry donuts. I mean, how can a bear pa- pass up a, you know, a, a nice Krispy Kreme donut? I was stopping at the mini marts and buying extra glazed honey buns because I'm thinking this is it. Now, they just walk by, turn their nose up at it and go over and eat, you know, a pile of corn, hmm. you know. So it's just it's just different behavior. You think they get acclimated to that because of all the deer hunting down there over the years? Well, I think they've become acclimated to that food choice because that's what has been available to yeah. them. You know, maybe not thirty years ago, but certainly in the last twenty years. I mean, if you got bears that are twenty years old, you know, what did their mom teach them when they were cubs? Right. You know, where to find the food in the fall. Uh, so. I learned that, you know, bear populations in the Gulf Coastal Plain aren't homogeneous across the entire Gulf Coastal Plain. They're kind of patchy. You know, there aren't bears everywhere in the Gulf Coastal Plain, even though it's a big zone, 11-county zone, uh, bear zone. But, you know, like southern Bradley County is has a lot of bears. Mm-hmm. Uh, eastern Union County, western Ashley County has a lot of bears. Dallas County has a lot of bears. Washita County doesn't have that many bears, even though it has the Washita River running right down the side of it. Hmm. So, and bears use those river systems and breaks as travel routes. If you if you look on the display we had out here showing some of the movement patterns of some of those bears, uh, I mean you can watch them over time. You know they're running around, running up these SMZs or stream stream management zones in between these corporate timber products, or running through these. Uh, through these river systems and stuff like that, the the corridors, the riparian zones. I mean, that's 
that's what those bears do, just running around in between that to get from point A to point B. A lot of times it's not necessarily straight across a 10-year-old, you know, production. That's mm. where they den. Mm. So, uh, yeah, it seems like every bear in the Gulf Coastal Plain wants to find the ge- perfect geographic center of the thickest thicket <laughs> you could ever imagine, and that's where they want to have Where cups. are they denning? Are they digging holes and root balls? Uh, well, not really. Most of them are ground nesters in the Gulf Coastal Plain in mm. areas that don't flood. I'm talking about timber production land in Dallas County, Washita County, Drew County, Bradley. Uh, they'll just den a ground, just make a ground nest, Can you but believe it will that? be in a thicket. You could be walking through the woods and see just see a bear laying on the ground, and he's he's denning. Right. I mean, that's pretty incredible. I mean, you know, we run across it in the in the Ozarks and the Washita's ground nesters. Uh, typically, they're going to be in thickets. Uh, Washita uh, dens are typically dugouts under root balls. Ozark dens are typically crevice type dens. Uh, but the Gulf Coastal Plain, if they're now if they're in a flooding regime, they're going to be up in a tree. Mm. Uh, last, I believe it was last two Wednesday, uh, we were down there and trying to find one particular female named Memphis. And, uh, you know, we found her, and she was in a flooded break, uh, not far off the Washita River, but it was flooded, and she was 80 feet up a cypress tree, and that's wow. where she's been the wow. last three months. Wow. wow. You know, and there's, there's a cavity up there. She just happened to be out sunning that day, but there's a cavity up there, and uh, based on the GPS locations we had of her and everything like, like that, more than likely she has cubs up there. Huh. She hmm. just happened to be out sunning that day. Y'all didn't bring the helicopters in to... No, you know, there was a time back when I was a young man, I used to climb trees and do tree work, but uh, not so much anymore. That's why we have game cameras for it. You you guys may have heard me talk with Myron about this, but uh, so your your job title used to be bear coordinator of the state Mm -hmm. of Arkansas, and then three years ago, it changed. Uh, It was longer than that. that, It was about, yeah, about 12 years ago. Well, no, 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 no. The, the title changed. You became bear coordinator that long ago. The, the name changed, though. That's what I'm talking about. I became about. bear coordinator about 16 years ago. Name change came about 10 or 12. Large carnivore? Yeah. Okay. Well, well you're on top maybe of 10. it, Duke. <laughs> maybe 10. <laughs> I thought it was suit. I thought maybe it was. Maybe 10. Breaking well, news. Y'all stand by. <laughs> <laughs> no, this was. So, but why did they change your name? That's that's the important thing here. So, you were the bear right. coordinator. You became the large carnivore coordinator. Right. Why did Why did they change your name? Well, you know, mountain lions started showing up that we were documenting. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna I'm <laughs> gonna put mountain lions started showing up that we were documenting, and uh, you know, in order to I guess monitor what's happening with mountain lions uh, statewide and everything, they had to really kind of assign a. a, a a program coordinator to it right. well the most likely candidate was well you know mountain lions are large carnivores bears are large omnivores so hey you know and i mean honestly still to this day uh 99 of the work i do is bear related right uh you know i do uh some reports on wild on uh mountain lions but that's basically just an occurrence type Matt, so, you know, once a year, put together information for a FOIA or something like that. But it's 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 pretty cool that there are documented mountain lions. Oh, yeah. Do you think there's a mountain lion in Arkansas today? Uh, probably a good possibility of it. What color is it? 
Yeah. yeah. Good question. Good question. Hey, what we all want to know. What color is it? going to come up. I knew it. Can you tell by a mountain lion scream what color it is? No. Gary, Depends on what can. county it's in. <laughs> Where is my dad at? Gary knows. How can you tell by their scream whether they're black or just the regular ones? Secret, <laughs> trade secret. <laughs> no, I, I'm real interested in, uh, in, in mountain lions. And uh, Myron said that the majority Myron of. Myron said. <laughs> I should just follow Myron around and be like, and t- and be like uh, Myron the, said. Infamous Myron said. Uh-huh. No, you said that you get a lot of reports of mountain lions coming in. We do. We get about 100, I'm going to say 100 to 120 sightings a year. Okay, and then of those that are a mistake, what are they usually? What are people seeing? Uh, house cats and bobcats. House cats and bobcats. Yeah. It's a big house How cat. many people <laughs> here have claimed to have seen a mountain lion on Arkansas? I'm just saying. Raise your hand. <laughs> Jessica Llewellyn? Come on. I know every one of you have told someone you've seen a mountain lion before. <laughs> How many grandmas have seen them? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it, one of the first podcasts we ever did was uh, was called <laughs> The Myth of the Southern Mountain Lion. And I had Myron on there. And we talked about how everybody in the South, except for these fine people, uh, <laughs> have, have seen hey. mountain lions, have 100% seen them. We do have a lot of people here from not Arkansas. Remember. Right. All that geographic distribution we talked about. Yeah, so, so we can forgive them. We'll forgive them. A little bit. Now, yeah. it, it's, so, it's, so, it's a funny social, it's, it's, it's interesting to look into because mountain lions were here. They're, they were like bears. They, they, they were here in great number, doc, documented big time. I mean, the mountain lion had a range from the Atlantic to the Pacific, massive geographic range. They were here. They were in our lore. They were in our writing. They were in our hunting culture. Dads told their sons and daughters about mountain lions, and then they were extirpated, but dads kept telling their kids about <laughs> mountain lions. And, uh, and then it's so funny to me. I love it because we don't have that many mountain lions in the state, maybe one or two at any given time. Maybe. Maybe, maybe 10 or 12. Okay. I mean, it's just – we don't – I mean, there's no way to track them. We right. just don't know. All, all I can say is I get about one verification a year. So he gets 150 people saying, I saw one, mm-hmm. and one of those they're able to verify and say 100%. It doesn't Myron, mean that somebody didn't see one. That's they're right. just not Myron, able to Myron, have right. you seen a mountain no. lion in the state? No. Have you yeah. seen evidence of a mountain lion in the state? Yes. There you go. Yeah. So I got to share one, one story, mountain lion story. When I was in Oklahoma deer hunting in November, and it was one of these real cool nights, bright moon. It was very still, and we, me and a, a, another guy were walking out of the woods, and you could just hear so good. It was, just, it was cold and no wind and just bright night. And, man, I hear just a scream, just like, I, I don't even want to replicate it, but it was a loud. Could you please? I think we'd all enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. I can't, I can't do it. I heard a loud. What? It was so loud that I ignored it for three times. And me and this guy are walking together in the dark, 
<laughs> and I finally go, are you hearing that? And he's like, yeah, what is that? And I said, I have no idea what that is. But it was loud, so loud, it was just, <laughs> and I knew, I was like, half of the people I know would right now say, that's a mountain lion screaming. How many of you heard a mountain lion scream? Raise your hand. Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Big numbers. Okay. <laughs> so, anyway, I hear, it's like a, and I said, I, I told Dave, I said, man, I would swear that was a cat. I, I just would swear it was a cat. We got back to the truck, and I had my coon light with me, and that thing was, was, was screaming so consistently that, and we were in a big open field that I just said, let's just go over there. And so we turned our light off, and we kind of just started trotting across this field. Super rational thing to do. And uh, <laughs> it, quit, it quit making the noise. But as soon as we got over there where I said, I had to have been right in here, I turn on my light and just light up the world with this big light, and there's a bobcat in a tree. Oh, yeah. Bobcat was making an incredibly loud, and I, I've read about, I've heard people call it yowling. Y-O-W-L. But it was so loud, you could have heard it from, I mean, three, four hundred yards. It was just, wow, wow. And I think that's what all you heard when you thought you heard a mountain lion. <laughs> I think you heard a bobcat. He said it, not me. <laughs> we have a lot of bobcats. Myron, now you can say Clay yeah, said. Yeah, he said. Clay, Clay said. said. I should work for the game and fish and fill those calls. <laughs> Ma'am, you didn't you didn't see a bobcat or you didn't see a mountain lion. Nope. Your daddy lied to you. You'd be surprised you. at how many house cat pictures I get. Yeah, yeah. In a year. You know, someone sends a, a picture to AGFC, ask AGFC. Yeah. And it's you'd be surprised at how many house cats. Yeah. And they're some of them aren't even tawny colored house cats, you know. They're just people think they're you know, gray with slight stripes or yeah, yeah. <laughs> those puppy ones. Hey, I wanna, I wanna, I wanna end. We've been going for about an hour here. We're gonna wrap things up. You're Thank right. you guys right. so much for coming Thank you. and for 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 wanting to be here. So we're gonna have, uh, we're gonna do a couple more things. We're gonna have the owl hooting contest in Woo! just a little bit. Woo! It's gonna be a lot of fun. And yeah, we're gonna be here rest of the afternoon. So thanks, thanks a lot, right. guys. Sport Dog is the most recognized brand in the hunting dog training industry. The Sport Dog promise to customers is simple. Gear the way you design it. Every product Sport Dog builds is meticulously designed and rigorously tested in the field, ensuring it withstands the toughest conditions you and your dog may encounter. Using tracking equipment on my squirrel and coon dogs is extremely important to me. Get 20% off your first purchase using the code BEARGREASE. Go to www.sportdog.com slash BEARGREASE to learn more. Maui Nui is on a mission to help balance access deer populations for the good of our environment, communities, and food systems on the island of Maui. They've shared over 126,000 pounds of nutrient-dense protein with the Maui community. Secure your spot now. Become a snack subscriber and join in helping to build more resilient food and ecosystems on Maui. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I-Venison.com. And use promo code BEAR for 20% off your first order.